Welcome back. Here we are. So, you know, today, I don't know if you know this, but today is Pentecost Sunday, which is the day on the church calendar when we remember and celebrate the Holy Spirit being poured out for the very first time on those very first followers of Jesus who'd gathered together, they'd waited like Jesus had told them to do, without knowing exactly what it is they were waiting for. But that day, their lives were changed forever. You know, the presence of God, the power of God, the fire of God came down on them and filled them to overflowing. Sometime earlier before his crucifixion, uh, Jesus had said to his disciples, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will they do because I'm going to the Father. So I have a question for you this morning. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. Whoever believes in me, it said, whoever believes in me will do the same works that I do and even greater works than these they will do. Huh. That's pretty inclusive. Whoever. You believe in Jesus? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I've been thinking quite a bit lately about what it means for us to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, what it means for us to be the church. What is it that Jesus is calling us to be and do as his church in this place and in this present time? And in the midst of thinking about all that, I noticed a book that Lisa had checked out from the library. It was laying around and uh, called uh, Declutter Like a Mother by Ali Kazaza. <laughs> there it is up there, which is not a book I would normally read, let me tell you. <laughs> but for some reason, I picked it up and I read the introduction. And in that intro, Ali described how as a young Christian, upper middle class, stay-at-home mom with three kids under three, she was exhausted, totally overwhelmed, depleted, depressed, miserable all the time, and felt totally guilty for feeling that way. Anybody relate? <laughs> yeah. It made her wonder, where is this abundant life that Jesus promised? And then one day when she felt just about ready to snap and wanted to resign from being a mother, and she was lamenting to God about all of this, a thought from God dropped into her mind, asking her, what exactly are you spending all of your time doing? And Allie knew right away. She said it was picking up, maintaining my life, life, maintaining stuff, stuff we don't even need. And right away she said she knew what to do. She started decluttering. She started getting rid of stuff, paring down. And she writes about how that reduced her stress, it reduced her anxiety, it reduced her depression, her exhaustion. Her joy came back as she freed up time and space to focus loving her family better. Well, that got me thinking. Because it isn't just young moms who are exhausted and depleted and depressed and miserable and wondering where the abundant life of Jesus is. I think in a lot of ways, it's all of us to some degree. And while there's a lot of wisdom in paring down our belongings so as not to spend our energy taking care of stuff we don't need, I think there's an even greater need to declutter our lives. 
So I'm convinced that the abundant life that Jesus promised us is linked to doing the works that Jesus did. They go together. So it behooves us to spend a few weeks, and isn't behooves a great word? <laughs> behooves, I love that word. It behooves us to spend a few weeks talking about what did Jesus do? Uh, and that's the series I'm starting today. So we're going to look at today what that has to do with Pentecost and decluttering our lives. So you ready? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. We thank you as, as we celebrate this day. Remember this day when you were poured out on that first church. We thank you for your presence with us here. Just ask you to come again and pour yourself out here and fill us, Lord. Even as we're gathered together to hear the scriptures and, and worship and be together, Lord, I pray that you would be filling us up to overflowing and help us to hear you, see what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before I talk about what did Jesus do, I think it's important to remember how Jesus did what he did. And for that, I'm going to read in Matthew 3, starting in verse 13. <clears throat> it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, one of the foundational truths of Christianity is that Jesus was and is fully God and fully human. Now, that's a hard concept for us to wrap our minds around. And, and it seems like the way Christians, uh, you know, at least sometimes try and resolve it is by imagining that Jesus was something like Superman. He looked human, you know, especially when in his everyday role as Clark Kent, uh, but he really had all these superpowers because he was God, and that is how Jesus did all the amazing things that he did. But the way Scripture explains it is, is much more uh, nuanced or complex, I would say, than that. Philippians 2 is probably the, the primary passage about this. You could go read that later. But it tells us there that when the eternal Son of God was born as a baby in Bethlehem, he didn't cease to be fully God, but he did set aside the powers that he had as God. Because otherwise, how could he really be fully human like us, right? God chose to become humble and weak like us, which is absolutely astounding when you think about it, isn't it? Absolutely astounding. So to do the things that Jesus was sent here to do, for Jesus to fulfill all righteousness, as he told John, in other words, for him to do everything that God the Father wanted him to do, Jesus needed two things. He needed to be filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and he needed to be able to hear the voice of God his Father. 
Both of those things happened the day Jesus was baptized. He needed to know he could hear God's voice so he could listen to him and then depend on the power of the Holy Spirit in him to do what the Father said. And in that way, Jesus was just like us. So I'm going to read two passages of Scripture to you, and I want you to try and imagine them both as I do. Uh, The first one comes from Luke chapter 4. This is starting in verse 38. It says, And he rose, Jesus rose, and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. So picture that scene. You know, Jesus had just been teaching at the synagogue. And if you go back and, and, and read that a few verses earlier, he had to cast out a demon from someone in the middle of his sermon, which must have been kind of interesting. Um, and then he goes to Peter's house with his disciples. <clears throat> he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then they all have dinner together. And then as the sun is going down, the crowds start to come. You know, word has spread. You know, I can imagine the people packing into the house and spilling out into the street. There's so many people there. And Jesus ministers probably late into the night, healing everyone who needed it. Amazing, huh? Then we jump over to John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, uh, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. So now picture this scene. Bethesda was kind of like a swimming pool. You could picture it that way. Um, uh, it had a series of steps going down to the pool, and there were these columns around it with a roof over it to provide some shade. And lying all over around the pool, there was this multitude of people who needed, who were not well, the sick, the lame, the paralyzed. Uh, and so Jesus kind of wades into that crowd, right, one day. And every single person there needed healing. That's why they were there. Uh, There was a superstition, actually, that if you got into the water when it stirred up, you'd be healed. Um, 
And so they were there hoping to be able to do that. Whoops. Um, but Jesus walked past everyone except one man. He just healed him. So why? Why did Jesus heal everyone that night at Peter's house? And he walked past everybody that needed healing and only healed one person that day at Bethesda. Well, Jesus explained why a few verses later. This is John 5, starting in verse 19. That's not John. There we go. John 5, 19. It said, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. And we talk a lot about having good boundaries, right? That's pretty popular these days. Brene, yeah, Brene Brown uh, has a short YouTube video, which would be worth looking at sometime. Uh, just Google it uh, or search for it on YouTube called Boundaries. And it makes the point that the most compassionate people, the most compassionate people have the strongest boundaries, which might be somewhat counterintuitive. Jesus was full of compassion. That's why he healed the sick, it says, in places. And he also had very strong boundaries. His boundaries were that he only did what he saw the Father doing. Like I said earlier, I've been doing a lot of reading and praying and thinking about what it means for us to be followers of Jesus, what it is that God's calling us to do and be as his church in this place, in this time. We live in kind of a crazy time, don't we? We really do. And I'm going to talk more about that next week. But um, I'm in the middle of a a 10-week online class right now where a big part of, of what we're talking about is just that. How do we be the church in this time in which we live? Well, one of the really good questions that has come out of that class is what would it look like if God's shalom could come completely to your family or to your church or to your school or your place of work, your community, your neighborhood, your, your city, you know, what would it look like if his shalom came completely to that? If God's abundant life could shape those, what would that look like? That's a good thing to imagine, to think about. What would that actually look like? And here's the thing, God's already at work making that happen. The mustard seed of the kingdom of God, like Jesus talked about, has already taken root. And so little by little, God's kingdom is coming. Amen? Little by little, it's coming. His shalom is coming. Even when it's frustratingly slow from our perspective, Even when it's really hard to see, God's kingdom is coming. 
One of the predominant beliefs, I would say, in the secular culture in which we live today is that God is not really active in this world. He's not really doing anything. If there's a God at all, he's far off in space, somewhere, heaven, whatever, um, you know, and doesn't really interact in any practical way in our day-to-day lives or in our day-to-day world. So if we're going to do any good in this world, we have to initiate it ourselves. Even as Jesus' followers, even as the church, it's easy to think like that. You know, we think what we need to do is come up with a great plan, an awesome vision statement, a 10-point strategy, lots of funding, and then get to work, right? I have to confess, I have done that way too many times. But Jesus is saying, no, my Father's already at work. It's not up to us to figure out what to do. It's not even up to us to figure out so much what to do with our lives, right? The Father's already at work. Jesus is inviting us. He's urging us. He's commanding us even to listen to his Father's voice like he did, to look and see what the Father is already doing like he did, and then join him in his work of bringing the shalom of God to all the places we spend our time every day. So the question we want to ask ourselves and the question we should be asking each other constantly is, what is God saying, right? Or where do we see God working? What is God saying and where do we see God working? This is where Pentecost and decluttering comes in. This is Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. On the day of Pentecost, what happened to Jesus when he was baptized happened to those 120 believers who were waiting and praying, not knowing what they were waiting for. The power and the presence of God came and filled them to overflowing. Now, when the power and the presence of God fills you like that, sometimes unusual things happen, right? I mean, that shouldn't surprise us if we really believe, if we actually believe it's God doing something. Why wouldn't some unusual things happen? In this case, those believers started speaking fluently in languages that they didn't know. First time I was filled with the Holy Spirit like that, I started praying and praising God in a language I didn't know too. It's it's a pretty common phenomenon. In the fall, I'm going to teach through 1 Corinthians, so I'm sure we'll get to talk more about that kind of thing when we get there. But the point of the Holy Spirit being poured out on Pentecost was not the unusual things that happened. It's kind of like a side effect. The point was that from that time forward, 
the power and the presence of God himself dwelt in those people. So they were now empowered to join the Father in his work of bringing shalom to his world. That's what God was after, right? He was empowering his people to join him in his work so that the kingdom of God could come. He was doing uh, through his people now what had started to be done through Jesus. And the same is true for us. You know, when we give our lives to Jesus when we commit to living as his disciples, and when we're uh, baptized into his family, the Holy Spirit fills us with the power and the presence of God. That's not like a saying that we say. That's what actually happens to us. And then as we pray for each other after that, time and time again, to be filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit, we become more and more yielded to the power and the presence of God that's already in us. So then we can do what Jesus did, just like Jesus did it, by listening to the Father and depending on the power of the Spirit in us. And as we've seen, Jesus didn't just go about doing whatever seemed good to him or whatever other people wanted him to do. He listened to his Father's voice for direction and he did what he saw his father doing. Now, I don't think that applied to just things like healing people. I think it impacted everything Jesus did. It's how he lived his life day by day, every day. Ali Casaza said she realized her home was full of clutter, you know, things she didn't need, things that weren't actually making her life better. And when she decluttered her home, it freed her up to love her family better. She found more peace and joy and love in her life, you know, more shalom as a result. Well, the reality is most of us live pretty cluttered lives. Our schedules are packed. We have far more stuff than we need, and it eats up our time and our energy. We even fill our downtime with activity, don't we? Um, You know, we chase dreams of the good life that never quite materialize. It's always just beyond our reach, so we keep chasing and chasing and chasing. The pace of our lives seems to constantly accelerate. And then our sin and our brokenness gets in there too. It clutters up our lives even more. And we wonder then why we're exhausted or depressed or stressed out or fearful or unhappy or wondering where the abundant life of God is. And in all that clutter, even as followers of Jesus who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we don't have time or space to hear God's voice or to pay attention to what he's doing. And so we miss out on joining him in his work, uh, the work of bringing shalom to the world, which is the very thing that would also bring shalom into our lives. So what if we would adopt the same boundaries that Jesus had? What if we would ask every day, you know, multiple times a day, what is God saying and where do we see God working? What is God saying and where do we see God working? And we keep asking those questions every day. We don't give up until we start hearing and seeing the answers. And then we let those answers 
shape our lives. You know, not just who do I tell about Jesus or who should I pray for, although those would be great, but shape our whole lives. How do we use our time? How do we use our energy, our money, our talents, our gifts, our love? What is the Father saying and how can I join him? And how, how does that shape what we do as a church too? What is God saying to us as a church? Where do we see God working? So here's my request. <laughs> so would you take, you know, this is just like a couple of minutes, five minutes at the most maybe, uh, three times a day, maybe morning, noon, and night for the rest of the month and ask those questions. What is God saying and where do I see him working? Now, I've been doing this now over the last couple of weeks, trying to build that rhythm. Um, every time I think of it, actually, but at least three times a day, just asking those questions. Um, and, and, and let me tell you how this works for me. Oh, and I wanted to say, too, as you start doing that, as you do start hearing things, you're sensing things or feel like you're seeing things, let me know. Call me, text me, email me. You know, tell me what you're, what you're sensing. Um, but let me tell you how this works for me. You know, sometimes when I ask a question like that to God, you know, I'll get a sense right away, a thought will drop in my head or something, and I'll, I'll feel like it's God speaking to me. You, you never know for sure, right? Is that, can we all just say that? We can be real about this? You never know for sure. But, but you just, you, know, you kind of have to take it on faith. If you ask God a question and you hear something, it's probably him. And then you talk to other people and say, does this sound like God? So sometimes I'll hear God right away when I ask the question. Um, but usually... That doesn't happen for me. Usually what happens, it's like if I would keep asking the questions over days and weeks, eventually I get this dawning awareness. Somehow, somewhere it dawns on me, it's like, oh, I think this is what God is saying, right? It just comes up. It, it, it happens without me even realizing it because I've kept asking, kept asking, right? Um, I think that's often how it works. I become aware of what God's saying. You know, and, and sometimes that comes to me through something another person says to me. Um, you know, they're not even knowing what they're talking about as far as the question I'm asking, but they say something, and it's like, oh, that's God speaking through them to me. And uh, sometimes it's through reading a book. Sometimes it's through reading a Bible. Um, sometimes it's from watching a movie. You know, it's like TV. It could be anything. God can speak through anything, but it's like suddenly you realize, oh, I, I think this is what God is saying. It often doesn't seem all that supernatural, but I realize God has spoken to me. See, I, I believe God wants to lead us forward as a church. These are interesting times in which we live, which again, I'll talk more about that next week. Um, but in the way we move forward, I don't think he just wants us coming up with our own ideas or plans or strategies. He wants us to join him in what he's already doing here in this place, you know, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our city, where we, where we live, our workplaces, whatever, at this particular time. None of us hear God perfectly, right? None of us see what he's doing perfectly. But as we do this together and then we share those ideas and we kind of pool it all, what happens, it's like, it's like a mosaic coming together. That's what it's like. 
you know, a little piece here, a little piece here, a little piece here, and this one starts to make this one make sense, and it all starts to come together, and in this way, as a whole community, God will lead us. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, I love the way it works this way. I think it's the only way it works. So, um, so what is God saying? Where do we see God working three times a day? I'm asking you to do that for the month of June. Could we do that? All right, cool. And then don't forget to tell me what you're hearing. <laughs> Send it to me or talk to me, whatever. So we're going to move into communion here.